Crazy Talk is part of the AudioWorks podcast network. You can find out more at audio-works.co.uk. Other podcasts on the network include the Five Film Death Punch podcast, a twice-monthly interview exploring guests' five favourite films, featuring directors, radio hosts and more. And the AudioWorks podcast, weekly long-form interviews with interesting, successful and funny people. Sometimes the guests are all three of those things, particularly in the case of episode 52, featuring yours truly. Just kidding. Now let's get on with the podcast. Hello, my name is Meg Amelius Vand. You're listening to Crazy Talk. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome to episode two of Crazy Talk, at the first full-length episode. As I said, my name is Mega Megas Vand. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope it doesn't disappoint. So in this episode, I'm talking to a lovely young lady called Keris Vaughan. Keris is someone I met through my band, Oh Boy. We played a festival in Leicester this year called Handmade, which was probably one of my favourite festivals of the year and Keris was one of the things that made it so great. So her job was to look after the bands on our stage, make sure everything ran smoothly and she did a bloody excellent job. She was just really personable, really confident, easy to talk to and honestly on face value I never would have guessed that she suffered with mental health problems for a number of years. So when she reached out to me and said she'd be up for coming on the podcast, I was pretty surprised. Um, Initially, I planned to have her on a compilation episode I'm putting together with various people from the music industry, but our short chat actually turned into a much longer one and we covered a a lot of interesting stuff. So, Keris, you've got your own episode. We talked about all sorts of stuff, working in music with a mental health condition, medication, sex. It was a really varied and actually really easy conversation. So I'm pleased to share it with you on this episode two of Crazy Talk. Get yourself a cup of tea, sit back, relax, and I really hope you enjoy it. read something very interesting on Facebook actually when I was at practice earlier and it was Metal Hamish like have done an article saying that musicians are three times more likely to suffer from depression because of the rigors of the music industry and career uncertainty so this is something that you this is something that you mentioned to me that you'd been having a conversation about like working yeah, in the yeah. music industry why are so many people in the music industry like depressed Mm. yeah well I was thinking we were talking about that 
actually uh, last night and I was saying like the argument is though is it a case of the fact that there are more people suffering with depression or anxiety in the music industry or is it just a case of because I find like the music industry as a whole I mean maybe like the higher up you get it's a little less like this but definitely around our age group and like definitely in the scene that you and I met on like it's very open and people are very very accepting of things like that and it makes people a lot more at ease when talking about it yeah for sure Um, so I'm I I don't know I'm a little bit like is it a case of there's more people suffering or is it just a case of more people are talking about it yeah it's interesting and it's also like uh a lot of people who are musicians or work in the music industry, uh, do they tend to develop these problems or do they work in that industry and do they make music because they have those problems? Yeah, no, I, yeah, exactly what you mean. Like, I think a lot of the reason that I'm quite drawn to music is because, because of that. Like, okay, uh, something I heard the other day, you know the band Car Seat Headrest? Yeah. Yeah, he has a song called Vincent, and uh, it's like one of my favourite songs at the moment. One of the lyrics in it is, half the time I want to go home. And I know that that's like such a simple line, but it's like, I think that's that's the most a line has like struck a chord with me in a very long time. Just because that, you know, that feeling of like, especially with music, we're always going to gigs, we're always out, you're always meeting people. And, you know... As much as you do enjoy it, and we all enjoy live music, when you're feeling down or you're feeling anxious, like you are just kind of like, oh, I kind of wish that I could like do all this and get like do everything that I'm doing right now, but like click my fingers and then also <laughs> it be over and I'm in bed. Yeah, and I'm back my safety of my room and I don't have to speak to anyone. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, yeah, yeah. I think especially like being a musician being able to like channel a lot of those negative emotions into a song or something is quite it's quite like therapeutic within itself yeah I can imagine so yeah I guess it's like a bit of a bit of an outlet for all of those feelings but you find that your songwriting is a lot based around that at first I didn't I tended not to write songs about it because I didn't really want to think about it. I didn't want to talk about it. But since I've got more comfortable like talking about it and stuff, I mean, our our next single, Oh Boy's Next Single, is one that I wrote about like mental health problems. And it's probably, I think as a band, one of our favourite singles. And But it's funny because the lyrics are like really, really like brutally honest but the music's quite upbeat it's quite a summery song which is weird that we're releasing it in November but um yeah no I like that though I like that contrast yeah well maybe you'll like it I'll send it to you um yeah but yeah before that I didn't really do you find yourself like listening to a lot of music that talks about that kind of stuff or yeah, definitely. I definitely find that this is going to sound so emo. I definitely sound like uh, feel like I I will seek out music that is like really sad. Because like, I just like to listen. Because it's like I find that when I don't know. Because it depends on like the type of mental illness you have, or not even that, but like the way you deal with it. Like you know, with depression, like 
uh, like sometimes when you're having a really bad low, you'll just cry all the time. But a lot of it, especially when you're on medication, you find that you're like zombified. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I had that. I, like today was the first time I cried in about two and a half months, and it was like one tear. Like ecstatic about it, and I yeah. was like, "Oh my god, I've not cried in ages!" And I definitely find that I'll like purposely seek out music that will try and make me cry and try and make me feel those sort of emotions. Yeah, just to like try and like force it out of myself a little bit because it is very frustrating when you're on medication to have that constant feeling of like I described it the other day to my doctor as like flatlining. I'm never super happy, but I'm also I'm finding it impossible to be, I don't know, like I'm still quite like low, but I'm finding it, in, I'm finding it really hard to like really feel sad and have that cathartic side of like crying yeah. and expressing yeah. your emotions because I find that I'm just quite like eh, at the moment and there's nothing really, not really wavering other than that. Yeah, my my girlfriend since I've since I've been on antidepressants, she describes me as like you're you, but like a dulled down version. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so like I don't ever get like super excited about stuff, but I don't get super sad anymore. I'm just sort of like I just like waver somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Which I yeah, guess definitely. is which I guess is. The medication doing its job it's stopping you from being like yeah. ridiculously sad but at the same time it's kind of preventing you from having those like highs as well yeah definitely and I definitely feel as well like um I'm finding at the moment where in work when I mess up like and I know that my boss is kind of like mad at me I used to in the past that would have like really set me off I used to be like what well, I am but I was such a nervous person that that would make me cry, even like the smallest thing. Just yeah. thinking that was annoyed at me. And now, I guess this is a good thing about the medication, but I'm just kind of like, not unfazed by it. I'm annoyed at myself when I mess up, but I find that I'm definitely not reacting in the way I used to. Mm, yeah. And as much as that's good, it's slightly annoying and it's quite it's quite frustrating. I miss that, like, I miss that side of it, that, I don't know. Because I guess when you mess up when you're not on medication and you can feel your entire range of emotions, it kind of teaches you, you know? Yeah. You mess up and you get annoyed about it and sad about it and you go, oh, shit, okay, I won't do that again. Whereas at the moment I'm finding that, you know, I mess up and I'm annoyed, but I'm so, like, dulled in every way that I'm just kind of like, meh. It's kind of like, yeah, I kind of, like, sometimes feel like I'm just, like, living in a bubble it's almost like I'm in a dream the whole time. I just, I'm just spaced out all the time. That's like how my pills make me feel. I'm just like kind yeah. of not really able to properly take everything in. It's really weird. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah totally. If you don't mind me asking, what medication are you on? Uh, I'm on Cetilipram. Same uh, as, same as. That's probably why that we're. That's probably why we're having like exactly the same side effects. No, that's true actually because I used to be on search. <laughs> And um, that actually didn't do anything to me in the way that Satilipram has, but it really affected me, like, sexually. Oh, really? Like, yeah, I couldn't, I could not have an orgasm when I was on Sertraline. <laughs> That's interesting. I, 
I definitely find it a lot harder, like, on Citalopram. But I've never... Really? Yeah, but I, like, Citalopram's the only one that I've ever had. I was never offered anything else. But, yeah, like, I still can, but it's just really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really difficult to get there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, this is taking so long. I know. It's like, <laughs> God, I never used to be like this. But, you know, you kind of have to, like, weigh up whether the side effects are worth it I think for me they are because yeah. before I was just like trying not to kill myself <laughs> but like exactly yeah so it's like uh, you kind of it's like it's worth it I guess mm-hmm. I mean I used to uh, when I was really bad before like you know I was constantly on the edge of tears like constantly yeah and I mean I like I'm pretty good at not showing it. Like, not uh, most people that meet me would never even know because I, I wouldn't, like, I don't show it in any way and it would only be if I talked about it. But, you know, I used to be, like, terrible. I couldn't leave the house for, like, ages. At one point last, last year, like, I would get to the, I'd get out of my house, I'd walk down my driveway and I'd get physically stuck. Like, I could not move mm. anymore. I couldn't open that gate. I, like, I couldn't do it. I just could not leave. You know, and I couldn't go to supermarkets without having a panic attack. I couldn't eat in a restaurant because I thought I was going to be sick. I couldn't enjoy, like, a night out with my friends because if the bar was slightly busy, I would just feel incredibly uncomfortable the entire time. Mm. And, um, you know, from working in music, and especially in the job I'm doing now down in London where I'm having to go to gigs quite a lot, and, you know, a big part of it is going out and meeting people and meeting agents and socializing and you know my boss is introducing me to people a lot of the time and I have to be like on good form because for him like totally fair enough for him to think this as well is like I'm representing him in a way when he meet like introduces me to agents and things like that or booking agents or labels or anything and so you know I have to make sure that I'm entertaining and charming and a nice person to be around because you know, it reflects badly otherwise. And so that's really difficult, I find, with the job, if it wasn't on medication. But then also it dulls me. So it's kind of like a, it's a lose-lose situation. Yeah, but like one of the like shit parts is better than having the other shit part, so. Yeah, exactly. It's either I like meet someone and I am like unbelievably anxious and almost crying or you know, I'm just a little less funny than I'd usually be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard because you want to be one of those people who's like, nah, man, like, medication sucks. Like, it's obviously pretty cool to have that kind of attitude these days, but I'm all for it because... Yeah, no, I totally agree. I actually, I have a really big issue with um, people that try to convince people to come off their medication um, when they a are nothing to do with that person's mental health and b potentially have never been in that situation before yeah i i used to i dated someone for a while who while i was taking surgery in the first time i was on antidepressants and they were like you don't need to take them like why are you taking them they're making you a lesser person than you are like they're not helping you they're making you worse and at the time because i was so so into this guy and I was so like convinced by everything he said I was like no you're right like 
yeah, I don't need to take medication. I'm just, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop. And I did, and it was the worst thing I ever did. Mm. It was terrible because as soon as I stopped taking it, I went on, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just because of, like, a rush of, like, I, don't, I, actually, I, I have no idea what the scientific explanation for it would be. But maybe, like, a rush of, like, new chemicals going into my brain to try and, like, make up for the fact that I've suddenly stopped taking serotonin. Yeah, there, there's a name for it. It's, it, it's like, um, like a, basically like a serotonin deficiency. So, um, you, so yeah, you're not supposed to just stop taking them because yeah. your brain just like freaks out, and you get like I've heard I've heard people say they get like brain zaps where they get like almost like feeling like they're getting shocks to their brain, and just like it's really yeah, I've heard that it's really fucked up stuff. You re- you have to like wean yourself off. So yeah, if you just stop taking them. I, I can only imagine, like, how shit it was. Well, the thing is, actually, is I went quite, um, went quite high, actually. And I, I I had a bit of, like, a bit of a crazy, like, few weeks. And just, I'd always been thinking about, like, moving to Bristol. And I just randomly was just like, right, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to pack up. I'm just, I'm just going to go. And all my friends were like, I mean, you're being pretty, uh... <laughs> Yeah. Pretty impulsive right now. And I was like, no, nah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Everything's great, everything's great. And just did it and just moved. And then as soon as I got to Bristol, about two days in, I crashed off of that. And it was, I, I would say that it was one of the worst lows I've ever had. So like, that that was kind of recently, right? Because I remember seeing on Facebook you moved yeah. to Bristol. Yeah, so that was July. It was like a short kind of thing because I had that crash and then, I'd say, like, every day for about three weeks, I was, um, like, crying every day as soon as I woke up. Yeah. Um, and eventually my mum was like, you have to go to the doctors, and I did. And um, that's when I went on to the Satilapram. Mm-hmm. Um, but that took a while to settle in. And I'd say that only, like, the last few weeks I've really started to feel the effects of the Satilapram. Yeah, you kind of feel like you're leveling out a bit. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah, exactly. That is the word I was going to use. Leveling out a bit, but yeah, Bristol. That was um, that was yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, and as you as you just said, like it was it wasn't that long ago. But that's the thing with like some people talk about it a lot on social media, and some people don't. But you know, no one would know that that happened. Yeah, no. Because of like my immaculate social media life yeah. like I was having a great time it was like oh, I've just moved to Bristol and I'm like going to this balloon fiesta and oh my god like look at all these like pretty Clifton Downs photos and stuff like that and like you know I made it look amazing and I was tweeting and like on Facebook and everything looked great on social media but in the reality of it I was having one of the worst lows of my entire life yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's interesting you like mentioning that because I think it's quite easy to hide behind social media. And I think okay. back in the day, like, for example, when I got really bad, I stopped socialising, I stopped going out, I became pretty much a hermit. But because I was still posting stuff on social media, people probably yeah. didn't really worry about me. They probably just thought I was like off doing other stuff. But before social media, if, if somebody kind of like disappeared for a bit, you'd worry and you'd wonder like what's up with them and you'd maybe check in and see if they're okay but if all, if it all looks rosy and stuff 
on your social okay. media profiles, it's really easy for people to just assume that you're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And also, I guess, I mean, like, how do you deal with that when you're going on tour? Well, I guess we haven't really, since I've joined Oh Boy, we haven't been on tour. We've done, like, a couple of shows on a weekend, but we haven't mm-hmm. properly been on tour. And it, it is something that worries me a bit. Because I don't know how I'd, but it's funny because like even so I've only been in Oh Boy for about a year. Um, I'm I'm in another band that I've been in for longer, but um, I guess we're not doing as much as Oh Boy. Um, and before I joined Oh Boy, I was I was okay, but I was still recovering from the kind of relapse that began like I guess a year before that. But joining Oh Boy and having to like travel like quite far away to play shows and stuff it's almost like it's just throwing me in at the deep end and I've kind of like adapted and I don't know it's just it's made me a lot better so I don't know whether going on tour would actually have like quite a positive effect on me um exactly yeah um yeah. but I guess we'll find out when it happens I mean I can imagine how it would be quite helpful for people in the sense that, you know, when you're going through a low and, like, if you've got friends who know what's going on and they try and drag you out of the house and as much as you don't want to go, a lot of the time when they do eventually get you out and, like, maybe just you go for a walk in a park or something, like, it does it does help and it does, it does lift you a little bit. So I imagine, like, maybe going out on tour and then again, is it just a distraction? That's what I was going to say. I think it's just a, it's just distraction, really. But I think if you're yeah. distracted for long enough, you kind of time's like a really good healer. I think. Yeah. And if you just give yourself time to get better, you will mm-hmm. get better. I mean, sometimes you need the help of other stuff like medication, but I think if you're distracted for long enough, you kind of I don't know. You you just start to get better. I, that's what I've found anyway. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Like, so, um, my whole thing kind of started with, I think I've always kind of had lows, definitely, since I was a young, young teenager. Um, it was mostly anxiety to begin with, and I was on the waiting list in Leicester for CBT for about eight or nine months. Fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, so bad. Really, really bad. But... Because I had to wait so long, in a way, I kind of ended up teaching myself how to deal with it. Yeah. And, like, now I have all these, like, own methods that, like, I've just developed myself, which, I mean, maybe they're not necessarily what they would teach you in CBT, but they've they've definitely helped me. Like, just, like, small things, like, um... So, I don't know, if I'm having a panic attack and I'm out in public, I'll, I'll count on my fingers, which I know is, like, a really obvious one, but it, it genuinely really helps me. Like, if I just have my hand down at the side and, like, because, you know, you don't want to be walking around in public, like, counting yeah. out loud on your own. <laughs> so, like, just have my hand in my pocket or something and I just count, like, index and then middle and then ring and then pinky. And it actually really helps. And I know that, like, that's a really obvious thing, but I feel like when with our waiting lists and how long they are and the you know the fact that mental health still isn't taken as seriously as it should be people are just having to try and like fix themselves yeah I think yeah 
I mean, you, nobody knows your mind better than you do. Yeah. So if you can figure out ways yourself to kind of deal with those issues mm-hmm. and they work for you, fuck every, fuck everyone else, you know. It, if they work for you, Definitely. that's all that matters. Yeah, no, 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 I completely agree. I mean, you know, as you know, and I mentioned to you earlier, like I had my first like assessment for CBT today and... You know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but it was quite difficult, like, talking to her about things, because I filled out that form so many times, and part of me was just a bit like, oh, I've done this, like, I've taught, I've, I've not, I've not healed myself, obviously, and I still, I still get panic attacks, and I still get anxious, but, you know, I just had to, you know, I had to wait for so long, that it just meant that, I don't know, maybe it, Maybe it isn't a good thing that I've taught myself to fix myself because maybe I'm not doing what, you know, science would say is the healthy way to do it. But as you just said, if it works for you, and as long as it's not damaging yourself or others, then, yeah, fuck it, do it. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's like you being on the waiting list for nine months, it Mm. sounds shocking, but actually that's not that unusual. And I think it's it's really frustrating because if you're going through a crisis like mm-hmm. mental health wise you you need help there and then it's like your brain's yeah. equivalent of like a heart attack like you you need attention then it's no it's no fucking good putting you on a waiting list for nine months because by that point like you said you've had to you've either something really bad's happened and you haven't made yeah. it that far or you've learned to deal with it yourself and you don't need it anymore yeah exactly but then you don't want to pass it up because you never know when you're gonna have exactly you've waited so long for it yeah, exactly. Like that's because I said this to someone the other day. I was like, I'm a bit worried about going and doing it, and they talked to me about how I'm feeling at the moment because I've been okay, and I don't want them to bump me back off and put me back on the waiting list. Because what if I what if it happens again? Exactly. And then I've not learned these really useful techniques that I possibly learn now. But um, as yeah, just as you were saying, like one of the worst feelings is the world in the world is when you're at your worst, when you're like the lowest you could possibly be. And you finally pluck up the courage to ring the doctors and they go, oh, yeah, sorry, um, we can see you in two weeks. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, when you feel like that, two weeks is like a lifetime. Because you're just like, I, I can't wait two weeks. I can't go another two weeks of crying and feeling this low. Yeah, then, I mean, sorry, carry on. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, like, what, what are they to do? There is so many, like, so many people with not just mental health, but just health problems, but then such little... Resources, yeah. Resources and people. I mean, I kind of... I'm quite lucky because my uh, surgery that I go to, is like my family surgery, and my parents live in, like, the middle of nowhere, so it's not a very busy surgery. You usually, if you... Usually, if it's an emergency, you can get an appointment the same day. And my GP, like... I've got nothing but good things to say about him. He's a really good guy. And like he, when I was really going through it, he took really good care of me and made sure that I had everything that I needed. Well, medication wise. So as much as he could do, obviously for therapy, there's, there's always waiting lists. Um, But being in that position where you can't even get an appointment for weeks and you've got like, you just don't even know what to do. It's like, how would you, how, I don't understand how you even, like, cope in that situation. 
I know, and that's a worrying thing. Like, I've my I would always class my depression as like probably like moderate. I'd say like I I wouldn't say that I'm the worst that there can be, which makes me wonder about those people that are at the worst. They are like at the most severe level of it. And so for them to finally pluck up the courage to call and then be told they have to wait or even get an appointment and then get put on a waiting list for so so long, it's, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, I don't want to, like, blame doctors or anything because it's totally not their fault, but it is worrying how little importance is put on mental health yeah. when... It can be so fatal. Yeah, and I think especially nowadays, it's like it's almost like an epidemic. When I put out yeah. the, I put out a post on Facebook, which obviously you responded to, asking for people to be involved in this podcast. The amount of people who like private messaged me, just got in touch with me, and said, "I'm going through these things. Like, I- I'm willing to talk about it." And it's people that I like would never imagine would be yeah. going through that that kind of stuff it's just like probably mm-hmm. more people than not yeah totally that's amazing pardon no no, no sorry Karen. oh no i was just gonna say it's amazing that so many people have come forward to do it though yeah it's awesome but then that's back to this whole thing of i guess the majority of the people as well that you you are friends with on facebook are involved in music yeah, that's true. A, a lot of a lot of the people. Actually, would you say that a lot of the people that responded are involved in music? Uh, a, quite a few of them. Yeah. I guess it's good as well you said to me in that message. The, a lot of the people you're talking to are in bands or they're musicians. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm not either of those things. Yeah, but so, so what? So what is it that you are actually doing now in London? What's your like job title? Um, I'm a concerts assistant at DHP, so I'm a, I'm an assistant to a promoter. Okay, cool. In the London office, so I just help out with him, like getting availabilities and like booking dates and stuff like that, contracts and all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's really good. It's very different to what I was doing back home in Leicester when we met. Yeah, because that was very like, you know, I was helping run the venue and like running all the shows and stuff like that and I do really miss the small scene like a lot like the DIY scene the independent scene like it's just such a nice yeah such a nice atmosphere like every person I ever met while I was doing that job like I've remained friends with maybe not like you know maybe not like someone I talk to all the time but definitely if we ran into each other in the street we'd stop and have a chat and like see how each other are that's wicked which I don't think you get so much at this level that I'm at now. Maybe, yeah, and just, I don't know, less, um, less people, like, helping each other out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've definitely gone off subject. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 it's cool. So, like, I guess, living in London then, when it's, like, very different I guess it's very different to living in Leicester mm. have you found that's like affected your mental health at all like do you feel better well, for it do you feel worse for it it definitely actually all started in London when I was here for uni 
It actually started on a tube. The first proper panic attack I ever had that I fully recognise as a panic attack. Because I had, like, a lot of, like, anxious moments when I was a teenager that at the time I thought I was just really nervous, but now I look back on it and I think maybe they were panic attacks, but I wasn't sure. But anyway, the first one I ever actually properly had was on a tube. I was on the Northern Line um, going down to south and I felt really ill I felt sick on the tube and I thought I was going to be sick and I started having this panic attack and I had to get off at bank and I ended up walking from bank down to London Bridge and stopping in like every Costa Starbucks Cafe Nero to like go into the toilet and be sick and then come back out and walk along for a bit more and repeat and repeat and then eventually like go in a taxi to go to my then boyfriend's house and I would definitely say that was the worst panic attack I ever had. It lasted for like two and a half hours and <clears throat> it actually got to the point when I was in the taxi that I was hyperventilating so much that my hands and my legs kind of seized up. Like, they like stiffened completely and I couldn't move and my face started to do it. And I remember my taxi driver turning around and being like, do you want me to take you to the hospital? And I was like, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I think I'm just having a panic attack at the time. Because, you know, the first time you ever have a panic attack, it is a cliche, but you think you're having a heart attack. Yeah. Like, it feels like you're dying. It's such a terrifying feeling. Ugh. And, um, and I think that was quite, like, you know, because it felt so horrible. I think that was actually the basis of then me continuing to have anxiety was... I wouldn't say it was ever really a massive fear of any one thing in particular. It was a fear of having another panic attack. Yeah, it's like a vicious cycle. Like, yeah. you're scared of being scared, basically. Yeah, exactly. Because it feels so horrible when it happens. The last thing you want is for it to ever happen again. And then you start avoiding things. Like, I couldn't get on the tube for months and months and months. And I wouldn't. I would get the bus everywhere or walk if I had to. Because... I just didn't want to happen, like have another panic attack. Um, but no, yeah, so I definitely, I feel like London, you know, the busyness and the tubes and especially when you're around somewhere like Liverpool Street or Bank at rush hour, it's like the worst place to be if you're an anxious person because it's just so hectic. There's no calm. Also quite like something I really miss about especially living in Bristol with my anxiety was there's so much uh, greenery. There's so many parks and so many calm places to walk around. Yeah. In London, you're a bit of a loss for that. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of like, I, I've never done the London thing. I've never lived down there. I always wanted mm. to when I was a lot younger, but then I guess, I don't think I could cope with, yeah, like, the lack of space. Like, I need yeah. space and, like, peace and quiet and just, like, somewhere where I can just escape to and there's, like, no one there and it's quiet and it's just, like... Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something I do kind of like about London and how busy it is with this sort of thing is, as we've been saying, like, you know, people with mental health issues, it's becoming a lot more... The numbers are increasing, it's becoming a more prominent thing. And I know personally that if anyone, especially when I used to work in bars, if anyone ever came into the bar and would have said something like, I think I'm having a panic attack, 
I would have done everything I could to like look after that person and make sure they felt safe and comfortable and make sure that they were okay. And I actually have, and this is probably so naive, but I actually have quite a lot of faith in people in the fact that if I was having a really bad time in London, there's such a massive like shops and cafes and restaurants and bars that I could probably go in somewhere and just explain and Oh, it is naive, but I, I do I genuinely do think that uh, like, I think I, I think yeah, I think like you're never alone anywhere, are you? And I don't no. think that I don't think that's naive at all because I mean, especially if it makes you feel better. Oh yeah, definitely. Then you know, think what you want. It's not naive at all. Yeah. Because you know, we all like we all like to say about how horrible the world is and how mean everyone is, but definitely myself and almost everyone I know would always be a a babe in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, there's pros and cons. It's hectic and busy, but, you know, faith in humanity. Okay, I like that. <laughs> Vastly different pros and cons. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, um, um, is there anything yeah. else you wanted to mention? Anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, That's such a shit no, question because you can no, never remember on the spot if there's anything no, that you wanted yeah, to... there was something I wanted to ask you. Okay, ask away. I think it was when I was asking you earlier, when did it start? Oh, yeah, when did you start playing music? And does it correlate with the time that you started? <laughs> it doesn't experience? It doesn't correlate at all, unfortunately. It does maybe correlate uh-huh. with when I started writing songs. Okay. I started playing music when I was, like, 11. Um, right, okay. I started as a drummer, actually. And then my older sister had a guitar that she neglected so I just stole it and just taught myself how to play that and then yeah when I was about 16 I started writing songs and they were all super emo because it was around that time you know in MySpace days yeah yeah and um and I'm still writing emo songs now so nice maybe I'm just maybe I'm just like an innately emo person and that's why I'm just prone to intense misery yeah, that's the point as well, actually. Do you think if you looked at, like, statistics, do you think it's higher, mental health issues are higher in people who listen to, like, rock and guitar music and, like, emo and things like that, or, like, dance and electronic and house and things like that? Again, I'm not sure if it's one of those, like, chicken and egg situations. Because I, yeah, I don't right. think I've ever met a depressed person and I've been like, what's your favourite kind of music? And they're like, happy hardcore. But, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? But like then are just people who are like programmed that way to be a little bit of a like down person, are they more then just more attracted to like alternative music? <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to write anything off. I mean, I'm sure people who like house music can be depressed. But, oh no, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. But I just mean, oh, I don't know. See, it just goes back to that argument I was saying at the beginning. Where is it a case of it's got more like prominent, or is it because more people are talking about it? Yeah, it's 
it's a difficult one, but either way, I I don't really care. I just like the fact that like people have seem to feel a bit more comfortable talking about it. Yeah, it's really good because I mean... because I think like sorry to interrupt you, but you'll probably agree with me on this. The hardest part of my like mental health journey was that beginning part when I thought that I was like the only person who felt like that and it was like a really yeah. lonely place to be in but then when you realize how many other people feel like that it's really it's horrible because you don't want other people to feel like that but it is really comforting yeah it's reassuring definitely I mean no I completely agree with that I remember when I did first start having the panic attacks and you know I was at uni at the time and I'd be going out with people and people would be like, oh, yeah, we're going to go to this, like, party or this club night. And I'd be like, okay, cool, how are we going to get there? And they go, oh, we'll get the tube. And, you know, I had to just be like, oh, okay, cool, sweet. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, sounds great. Where inside, I was, like, absolutely freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, no way. Like, I can't have a panic attack in front of these people. They'll think I'm, like, a pussy or, like, I'm just, like freaking out about nothing or I'm overreacting because I think that's another thing as well is that fear of telling people because you think that they think that you're just overreacting or being dramatic hi guys Meg here this isn't actually part of my chat with Keris so forgive me for interrupting the thing is Keris and I didn't actually record a proper ending to this episode my fault entirely But we did sort of finish with the following segment where Keris talks about the way that people react to you when you have a mental health condition. I just thought it was really eloquent and beautifully put. So I'll leave you with this. Thanks. Like, I've definitely, like, had that before when I've tried to talk to people about my panic attacks and they don't really get it. They think I'm I'm just really nervous. And they're like, no, you're just nervous. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, it's a completely different feeling. Like, it's not just nervous. It's a whole other thing. And they're like, no, I just think you're just really nervous. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, you don't get it. Yeah. And that is hard because then that's such a horrible thing to say to someone as well. Especially when they're like trying to and they're like, no, tell me about it. And it's, it's you know, you don't want to turn around and just be like, you don't get it, like, you don't understand it, but it's definitely very difficult when it first starts happening, because, as you said, you think that you're the only person that feels like that, or you feel like, at least, that you're very rare and you're feeling like that, when really, when you do genuinely, like, start opening up about it, there's so many people, like, even on the smallest scale, like, just... You know, they, they've had one panic attack once in their life, like, in a situation. But it does make you feel better because you just know that when you're talking about it, they understand and they they understand that fear and that, like, the terror and how horrible it is. And it's, as you just said, it's horrible to know that other people are going through it or have gone through it, but it is such a comforting feeling when someone turns around and goes, I know exactly what you mean. I did. I had that once, or that happened to me once. Because you suddenly just feel like, okay, cool. Like you totally like that's great. Because now I know that you don't think I'm being silly. You don't think I'm overreacting, and you don't think that you don't 
you know, you can they get it. It's just tonight. It's just nice. It's just nice for people to just get it. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can contact me via Twitter on at Meg12, that's Meg T-W-E-L-V-E, or via email at crazytalkthepodcast at gmail.com. Please do send me your questions, topics you'd like to hear about, stories, whatever you'd like. I can keep it anonymous if you'd prefer, just let me know. If you liked this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, share all the shit you get told to do at the end of podcasts it actually really does help and the more of that stuff you do the more people we can reach and help which is the ultimate goal of this podcast and finally if you're listening to this and you are having a really tough time do contact the likes of mind or the samaritans you can find all of their information in episode one of this podcast they're just a few of the many people out there who can help until next time take care guys (laughs) 